0: Welcome guys and gals to the Man Talk Show. I'm Connor Beaton, the host and founder of Man Talks. This podcast brings together some of the best thought leaders, teachers, and extraordinary individuals to help teach and mentor you on how to be a top performer in life, love, and business. Joining me today is Dr. Tracy Gavin, who is a urologist in Sarasota, Florida, and uh, works with and affiliated at multiple hospitals within the area, including doctor's hospital of Sarasota and Lakewood Ranch Medical Center. Uh, He received his medical degree from the University of Texas Southwestern Medical School uh, and has been in practice for over 15 years. And so uh, what we're going to talk about today is actually quite interesting and fascinating. Um, We're going to dive deep into the realm of epigenetics. And this is something that I've had a few of you reach out and, and ask for to have a conversation around um, and, and so we're going to start with an understanding, just kind of like revisiting some, some high school, uh, science and talking about DNA and what it actually consists of and why it's important. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about epigenetics, uh, how they came into being and and what we need to know about them, what the sort of like average person needs to know about them. And then we're going to talk about some of the things that actually impact and affect our genetics on a daily basis. And the last part of this is going to be focused in on understanding testosterone and the impact of that on the male body. And we're going to dive into uh, a few different areas of a lot of the main causes that reduce testosterone, what you need to look out for, and then uh, what Dr. Tracy Gappin actually recommends in terms of uh, being able to regulate, -regulate, self-regulate your testosterone and start to bring that, you know, bring those levels back up. Because, this is an incredibly important uh, area of our life, and what I've started to notice is that more and more men, uh, regardless of age, are really struggling with uh, with testosterone, and that guys, you know, as soon as in their early 30s or late 20s, can start to feel a, a reduction in their you know drive and their desire, in in their uh, energy levels, in their cognitive functions, you know, in their sleeping patterns. And all of that will can be impacted by your testosterone. So what I want to just say before we actually dive into this is, go get a checkup. You know, like don't wait for it to be Movember uh, to go get your, you know, to go get things checked up. Actually, just go see a doctor and, and do your annual routine. So if you haven't done one in a while, this is just like a reminder to to actually go do that because it's a very important thing to catch things before it's too late to catch things you know, uh, to to sort of take the preventative medicine. You know, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably the type of person that's looking for an edge in your health, in your mindset, in your relationship, in your finances, in every area of your life. And so part of having your edge really on point, part of it expanding and living your purpose and being the best husband, father, mother, wife, whatever it is, whatever you are aiming at being the best of in your world, part of that is having your health in order. And so just a uh, Just a little nudge to go and do your annual checkup. Uh, Lastly, uh, we have The Alliance coming out beginning of November. Um, We have a whole new structure. I would love, love, love for you guys to check it out. You can check out, uh, go to mantalks.com forward slash The Alliance or just go on to mantox.com and check out The Alliance as we are opening it up. And uh, we have made it much more accessible. It's gonna be an incredible group of men from around the world focusing in on developing a sharper mindset Uh, moving through relationship challenges, building intimacy with your partner, uh, building a deeper sense of wealth and professional development. And so we're going to have weekly challenges and weekly virtual calls with men from around the world that I'm going to be leading. It's an incredible, incredible program and group of men. So I hope that you check it out and uh, join. So that's it. Without any further delay or ado, uh, please welcome Dr. Tracy Gappin.
1: Hey there, thanks so much for having me.
0: Yeah, listen, I think this to be a great conversation and uh, I'm excited to dive in. And, and, you know, from what I've read about you online and the mild online stalking that I did and and research, <laughs> uh, it sounds like you have uh, uh, really an, an incredible story and incredible background. And I think that, you know, both, uh, both the men and women that, that tune into this show are definitely going to gain a lot from this episode. So let's... Um, Let's just start off with the question that I ask all my guests, which is: Tell us a story about a defining moment in your life that made
1: you who you are today. So, you know, I uh, um, I, I had a fairly fairly troubled or difficult childhood growing up. Um, my my parents divorced early, and I I learned kind of firsthand I experienced how important it is to have a strong, powerful man or husband, father in the family, and so. Uh, I, I personally um, felt the effects of that and how important that is. And uh, when I was very young, I decided I want to be a doctor, probably uh, maybe third or fourth grade or so. And uh, when it came to medical school and it was time to, to decide on my specialty, I, I chose urology and I became a urologist and I, I have a very strong focus on men's health. And so it's pretty powerful now that I am able to really focus on helping men be better fathers, husbands and leaders in the world. Um, and that's a really important um, uh, mission for me. And I, I, I take um, a lot of um, pleasure and pride in, in helping men do that. I, uh, um, I've had my own health issues. A couple of years ago, I was uh, not really paying attention to my own health. I was busy raising two little kiddos and um, working really hard, a, a full-time uh, clinical practice here in urology. And I went for my first physical exam with, with my primary care doctor. I finally got my, myself a doctor. And I went to see him, and um, I I hadn't really realized it, but I was actually markedly overweight. I was um, over 200 pounds, or uh, right at 200 pounds, and um, I had uh, a high cholesterol. I think my cholesterol was about 245 at the time, and um, I was in pretty bad shape and uh, not in good health. And so it was really... Um, um dramatic eye-opening moment for me to recognize my own mortality and realize that I had to kind of kind of um, pay attention to myself and, and I was so busy helping other men focus on their health that I wasn't focused on my own. And so I've used my experience both in clinical practice and my own personal experience to really guide how I help men optimize their health, optimize their performance. And not really in the disease model, not really in the sick care model, like they teach in medical school, but really more focused on the on the proactive health model, and and that's where epigenetics comes in to really help provide a, a personalized approach to um, helping men optimize their health and performance and longevity.
0: Very nice, man. Yeah, very nice. I think that's a very like relatable story for for a lot of guys. You know, in in many ways, I think a lot of guys have gone through that experience where you know they just kind of get hunkered down head down you know trying to work on business trying to work on their career their finances like juggling the the act between everything especially when kids come in i i you know i see and work with a lot of men who come into our mastermind groups and and into the alliance who you know that seems to be a huge huge shift for them as soon as they get married and have kids something fundamentally shifts and i want to talk about that phase and i also you know you touched on mortality there and i'm curious to get your sure. insight into how, how did that actually show up for you? Like, what was it about the facing mortality? What were some of the questions that you had ruminating in your mind? And how did you actually, like, leverage that experience in, in order to grow and develop and take the steps that you needed? Because I think for so many men, they just don't have enough sort of skin in the game to make some of the changes specifically within their health that they know that they should be making?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, when I was sitting there at that doctor's office, um, he showed me um, mortality charts and, and I have a, a strong family history of heart disease and vascular disease. And and so given my cholesterol, given my age, given uh, you know my uh, particular characteristics and um, uh, traits and my, my family background, to see my own mortality in front of me to realize, you know, I am I was 40 at the time. And, you know, realizing that I'm, I'm potentially shortening my life purely based on my lifestyle, my activity, it really opened my eyes. And it, it kind of helped me realize that I need to pay more attention to lifestyle. And that's really what, what epigenetics is all about. You know, it's the fact that We can, through our own habits, our lifestyle, what we eat and and what we do, our movement, our our actual mindset, uh, how we handle stress and how we sleep, all these parts of our life can actually directly affect our mortality and and increase longevity and and help us live a healthier, happier, stronger life. And so it's really opened my eyes to a whole new field um, that's called epigenetics that I find fascinating. and, And it really applies to every one of us. It's just a matter of being aware of that
0: cool awesome man well let's let's dig into that a little bit cuz i think you know i think epigenetics is a, is a really incredible field that you know maybe not everybody has context for so could you sure. maybe elaborate a little bit on epigenetics what it actually is and and why
1: it might have some relevance for for everybody that's tuning in today Sure. Yeah, I, I get this question a lot. So, you know, we all have, have our genes, you know, we all have 46 chromosomes, we get 23 from our mom, 23 from our dad, and, and our genetics are set, you know, the actual DNA itself is, is set. And while there may be a, a mutation here or there, in general, our DNA is fixed, and you can't change that. And and, and it is what you were given. And so um, a, a lot of people have, have had the belief the the, the misbelief, the misguided um, belief that, your DNA is your destiny, so to speak, that that dictates your risk of disease, your risk of developing cancer, or your, your risk of becoming obese, or or your risk, or your ability to be an athlete. And that's just not true. And, and the reason for that is what's called epigenetics. And so epigenetics is related to the epigenome, which means what's around your genes. And, and what that means is there are proteins and there are different molecules around your genes that affect the way it's expressed. So everything we do is based on proteins or enzymes that are made, that are coded by our DNA. And that expression, the the actual translation of your DNA into protein, into enzymes, into actual functional chemicals and substances in your body is directly affected by your lifestyle. And so a a good analogy that I I think helps people understand this concept is sheet music. So if you look at a a page of, of musical notes on a page... One musician may play that completely different than another. Now, it's the same notes, okay, but the way it's played can be very, very different. And so this is really a good analogy for epigenetics, where your DNA, your genetics may be uh, what they are, but how you play your music, how you play those notes, i.e. how your genes are expressed, is directly affected by your lifestyle. So as an example, there's been a study, there's been tons of studies, but one in particular that I like to bring up that showed that uh, individuals who exercised for 20 minutes a day, three times a week for six months, they had increased expression of over 7,000 genes in their body. So we're talking about upregulating or turning on 7,000 genes just by exercising. So it's pretty amazing how we can affect the expression of our genes and ultimately affect our health and our function simply by our lifestyle choices.
0: Yeah, and so you know, you you mentioned the study about working out and and being able to turn on these these different genes and the different expressions of the of those things. So really is is a, some of your work being able to see and understand how like what are some of the different components? Like you mentioned working out, but what are some of the different contributing factors that actually lead to uh, lead to this shift that you're talking about, this change that you're talking about within our genetics, within our DNA?
1: Yeah, so you mean at like at the molecular level or specific examples of our lifestyle and how that affects it?
0: Uh, specifically with regards to like our lifestyle and, and some of the yeah. things that contribute okay. to those
1: shifts. Sure, sure. So, you know, our, our genes... Uh, to a certain extent, dictate how uh, our body performs, but we can alter them. So for example, there are genes related to how we handle food, how we handle nutrition. So for example, there are are certain people who based on their genetics, they may do better in terms of building muscle and burning fat and and, and metabolism with a a higher protein diet and a, a lower carb diet. Um, My wife and I, we've actually uh, done our – we've analyzed our genetics, and and, and she, for example, does much better with a uh, more of a a high complex carb diet and lower protein, whereas I do better with a higher protein, lower carb diet. And that's specifically related to particular SNPs, which are single nucleotide polymorphisms, which are are, are parts of your genetics that can be affected, um, uh, that can directly uh, relate to your lifestyle. And so, uh, so that's a good example. Uh, there are a lot of genes related to uh, sleep and our sleep cycle, our circadian rhythm, um, our, our sleep onset, our sleep latency. And so um, a lot of uh, men who I, I treat for issues with obesity, issues with uh, metabolic syndrome, low testosterone, a lot of it's related to sleep. And so I work with them a lot on, on the particular genetics related to sleep and how we can improve their sleep you know not just through the the, the hygiene that we hear everyone talk about um, you know dark room cool temperature no light no blue lights before bed all that kind of you know basic hygiene stuff but we're talking about specific genes that tell you you know well, are, are you are you more of a nighttime person or a daytime or, or a morning person in terms of you know you, you know your best time to go to sleep you know will you be someone who might respond better to melatonin or other supplements um, and so it's really uh, more about bio individualizing the approach, and and rather than just taking a one size fits all approach to to nutrition, to fitness, to sleep, to to supplementation, we can we can use our genetics as a guide for how to to bio individualize or how to really personalize healthcare. Yeah, so so interesting. I think it's,
0: I mean, it's it's something that I can imagine that a few decades ago people couldn't. I mean, I think maybe regular people, maybe some people, maybe some scientists could conceptualize, but, you know, just this conversation that we're having today around epigenetics and being able to sort of alter our internal composition, I would imagine that most people were like, no, that that'll never be possible. But here we are having this conversation. So I'm curious to kind of take this back to, you know, the impact of something like DNA sequencing, like what what did what did that provide and allow for us as human beings? What did it actually open up for us in terms of our day to day life? Because I think we can oftentimes look at these at these sort of advances in technology and advances in health and breakthroughs and understanding, but not really actually have a context for what that makes possible for us. So so when we did actually map DNA and and figure out DNA sequencing, I think it was I'm actually not too sure. I think it was like Fifteen or fifteen or twenty years ago, now, what did that actually open up for something like the health industry? From your perspective,
1: yeah, you're absolutely right. It's pretty fascinating how how much has changed. Um, you know, when I was going through school, through through college and medical school, we, we talked a lot about genetics, and we learned about you know the the, the nucleotides. We learned about DNA and, and messenger RNA and, and ribosomes and all that stuff. And it was pretty much set like, like, Hey, this is how it is. This is, these are the genes. This is the genome. And, and, um, at that time they hadn't, they hadn't identified every single gene like they have now, but, um, it, it's come such a long way in our understanding and, and to, to realize how amazing it is, how, uh, what, what significant capacity we have in our, in our DNA. It's really incredible. So, having all of the the sequencing done what that enables us to do is is now focus really on the epigenome you know the, the the genes have all been been identified now we can really look at at individuals and and look at uh you know population-wide genetic material and start to identify um the the, the polymorphisms that are important you know what what genes relate to what disease and how could we potentially modify those with lifestyle there is, uh, there's been a dramatic shift toward um, all these genetic assays, toward these direct-to-consumer companies that will um, give you a, a, a template, you know, where they can analyze your genetics and, and look at these specific single nucleotide polymorphisms that they feel are important, and tell you, hey, you're at higher risk for for um, Alzheimer's disease, or you're at higher risk for vascular disease, or or you're you're a better athlete in terms of um aerobic activity or you know uh, running long distance rather than than sprinting or rather than, than you know uh, uh, muscle um, uh, building and so it, it's opened this entire new world of, of healthcare care that that is it, really we're just on the on the edge of it we're really at the tipping point of it but it also brings up some problems and and that is that there are um a lot of companies out there trying to make money off of this now and so what i mean by that is is Um, you can run a template you could take someone's genetics and run a template and based on on certain genetic data you know what's out there you, you can say that that one particular gene one particular single nucleotide polymorphism of a particular gene may put you at risk for a certain disease and now these companies can put together a template and sell you that in and of itself and it becomes a slippery slope where the consumer may look at these and believe them to be real um, when, in fact, it, it's so much more complex than that. And, and I think this brings me to, to a, a key point that I think is important to, to, to bring up, and that is that, that, that we as humans are so complex. There's so much um, variability. There's so much individuality involved that a, a, as amazing as uh, epigenetics is, it has to be applied. It has to be applied by an actual human. And so some of these um, genetic traits can, can relate to particular risks of disease or r- risk of certain um, problems, um, but it needs to be put into proper context. And that's where I think an epigenetics coach is so important to be able to take all this amazing data and information that's coming out and becoming available for the, for the general public. But putting it in a way that's in proper context, and I think without that context, the data is lost and is not applied properly.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's. I think it's interesting because, you know, I think in in many ways there are so many, like so many, so many challenges, ethical, moral. Um, <laughs> I mean, there's there's so many different components of this of this spectrum that I think are challenging for a lot of people to understand. You know, like some people feel as though we're entering into this sort of sci-fi realm where you know people can create quote unquote designer babies and they can choose you know what what diseases they want to avoid they'll be able to predict what you know what diseases or or uh, sort of like you know, just like, just, just misrepresentations within, within our genetic code that we don't want to have within our babies anymore, within our children, and actually like remove some of those things. And so all of these questions start to come up. And I do want to get into the ethical and moral questions. And then I actually want to specifically dive into understanding. So like how the listeners, you know, how the everyday person can understand, how this is relevant to their own health and wellness and how to actually incorporate some of those, these pieces. But I think in order to do this, do you feel like it's beneficial for people to have just like a, a basic understanding of what DNA is? And and if so, how would you describe DNA in like layman's terms?
1: Yeah, good question. Um, it, it's uh, it, it's a fascinating concept, but you're right. I think that, that it probably is important for most people to have a general understanding. So your DNA is a double helix, which means um, uh, think of a um, a spiral. I'm not sure what that pasta is called. That spiral pasta, it's like a stair rung. It's like, like a, a stair rung, yeah, right? like, a, like like a stair yeah. rung, like a twisted yeah. stair rung. And each of the rungs of the ladder are attached to to single nucleotides. Okay, so the, so that on each side of a rung of the ladder is a nucleotide that's attached to the one above it and below it. And there are basically four. Uh, nucleotides in your DNA code. There's there's a adenosine guanine, thymine, and um, cytosine, and the four A G uh, a t g and C, and your entire genetic code is based on those four uh, nucleotides. And you have about nineteen thousand uh, genes in your body, which is uh, I forgot how many billion actual uh, uh, single nucleotides, um, but it, it it's a uh, uh, incredibly huge code. And what's really fascinating about this is that every single cell in your body has the same DNA genetic material. You have the same 46 chromosomes, and on each of those chromosomes, those chromosomes are actually, in fact, long, long strands of DNA. And that DNA is coded from your mother and your father. And so half comes from your mom, half comes from your dad. And that's what codes everything in your body. And so what's really fascinating is a a skin cell— and a liver cell and a, uh, a cell from your tongue and a cell from your colon and your kidney, all those cells had the exact same genetic material. And so you think about, well, how did each of these cells in, in utero during development, how did they know, how did each cell know what to become, what cell, you know, what tissue to become. And that's, what's really fascinating. And that that dives into, um, our, our coding and how the DNA is smart and, um, you, you have a, a, a basic uh, template for each cell to know what to do based on specific genes and um, um, starting points of those genes. So we have, um, we have spots in your DNA that tell the, the, the genes to start transcribing or stop transcribing. And at these starter regions, this is where genes get started, and then there's a stop region where they get stopped. And the DNA gets coded into RNA, Uh, which uh, basically think of the ladder as splitting apart in the middle. And the RNA attaches to that half a ladder to become a full ladder again. And those RNA pieces are what ultimately is used to create proteins, to, to create enzymes. And so the DNA is the base upon which the RNA and then subsequently the proteins are founded. And so for your body, for each individual cell to know which part of that DNA to start coding and stop coding when and where is truly fascinating, um, but that's the basis for for epigenetics, is to is to focus on the particular genes and how we can affect the the expression of those genes. Um, again, it all comes back to our actual lifestyle.
0: Very cool. And so, would I mean, I know this is sort of like a dumbed down version, <laughs> but it, it made sense to me when I when I heard it. Um, I heard someone describing DNA as sort of like the informational hard drive of existence in some way of like life so is it is it just about information storage or is it is it that is it more than storage like is it is it storage and processing or how would you categorize that if you're using sort of like a computational or like computer-based analysis
1: uh, uh, or metaphors yeah, sure. of your actual dna you're talking about yeah yeah, I mean it, it it's fascinating. It stores everything. It's both storage as well as functional. You, you know, you have genes that, that are technically stored from your ancestors from, from millions of years ago. Your g ge- our, our genetics have been changed over time. You know, about ninety-nine percent of our genes are identical from one human to another. Um, there's very little variation. It's just about one percent of our genetics that actually varies. Um, and that one percent is what uh, accounts for a difference in our appearance, and different difference in our risk of disease, and our difference in um, you know athletic ability or or um, intelligence or whatever. And so the, the the code of our DNA is what defines all of that, and it it uh, affects every one of us um, in, in who we are. And, and and what's more fascinating than that even is that. What we do, our lifestyle can actually affect our offspring as well. And um, I'll give you an example. Um, there, uh, and this relates to, to men's health, you know, my particular focus, and, and I talk about testosterone and fertility and, and, you know, sexual health a lot. And um, it, this relates back to, to the 1940s to 1970s. DES, which is a type of estrogen, was given to pregnant women at the time because it was believed that it uh, reduced the risk of um, premature labor. And so every pregnant woman, uh, to avoid miscarriage or premature labor, they were given DES. Well, this was stopped in the 1970s when they realized that the female offspring of these women were having a markedly increased risk of vaginal cancer. And so this was, it was stopped at that time. But what we have actually found since then is that there has been a dramatic drop in fertility in the men who are offspring of those women as well. And so, how this all relates back to your question about DNA is that it is believed that from an, a, a transgenerational epigenetic effect, the fertility of these offspring have been affected for generations following from that maternal exposure to DES. So, what that means is the genetic expression of the, the, the sperm cells, of the, um, the testicle tissue of the men who are offspring of those women. Uh, the genetic expression was affected by the maternal exposure. So the genes are not expressed the same way for generations that follow, and that's all because of that maternal exposure. And so it, it's fascinating how, um, yes, the DNA uh, holds and it, it stores all of our, our information, but it's also directly uh, associated with our, our actual function and our performance, and in this case, you know, testosterone and, and fertility issues. Mm, interesting,
0: and and how much of our DNA is actually used? I think I, I think I read somewhere that uh, like something like ninety three percent of our DNA is. I don't think it was unsequenced, but it's it was it's unused or or not activated or something like that within our daily within our daily use. Is that accurate, or am I like totally off yeah, base here?
1: Yeah, no, no, you're right, and, and and I can't tell you. I remember the exact number of of, of how much of it is used, but you're right. A, a, an extremely high portion of our DNA is is never is not used at any one particular time, um, but our body knows when to employ it or when to use it at the right time. Yeah, it's pretty amazing.
0: Huh. Okay, interesting. And then what about? Like, what about things like DNA damage? Because I feel like part of what you're talking about is that there are incongruencies or inconsistencies or, or that, you know, in, in the specific example of, of, you know, low testosterone levels or, you know, low estrogen levels in some of these cases that you're talking about. Is this about actual damage to the DNA or is this just about the, the sort of like biochemical composition of the human body that's impacting and, and shifting and manipulating our DNA?
1: Yeah, great, great question. It's really not DNA damage, and so that's a, a very important distinction. So DNA damage is like a mutation. That's where you, you have an actual change in the DNA code that will result in in uh, sometimes nothing, or some you know if, if it's if it's not part of a particular gene on the DNA, then nothing. Or if it is part of a DNA, uh, is part of a gene, then it could have dramatic effects on on gene expression and. Uh, Gene production and ultimately could lead to you know disease or 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 cancer or you know cystic fibrosis or or whatever you know problem may may come as a result of that mutation. But we're not talking about mutation when we talk about epigenetics. We're specifically not talking about mutations. We're talking about the actual expression of genes. And so what that means is is there's a there's a a, um, a dimmer switch, if you will, for your genes. Okay, and that has to do with the the starter region or the promoter region of a gene on your on your DNA code that tells that gene to turn on or turn off, and this has to do with uh, processes we call methylation or acetylation, which are different um, processes around the DNA itself, and that's why it's called epigenetics because it's around the genes we 're not actually affecting those individual nucleotides in and of itself we 're actually affecting. The expression of these genes, and that has everything to do with what's going on around the DNA. And so, epigenetics refers to acetylation, uh, methylation, microRNAs, and, and other um, processes of uh, of your body that affect the way those genes are expressed.
0: Interesting. Okay, so so let's let's shift the gears a little bit and, and talk a little bit about some of the things that that you know directly impact the these shifts that we're talking about. Because I would imagine that you know, in the current time that we're, that we're living in with, you know, highly modified, highly processed foods, that those, those things have a direct impact on our genetics in some capacity. And so in maybe like a little bit of a basic way, and then we can dive in a little bit deeper, how do or, or do they, maybe I should ask that question first, <laughs> do things like processed foods and, and highly modified foods impact our genetics and our DNA? And if so, how does it actually unfold?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I talk a lot about this about nutrition. um, You know, processed foods, um, refined sugars. um, That uh, sometimes you know, bad saturated fats or the omega six polyunsaturated fats. You know, all all of these um, uh, foods can affect you in so many ways. And and again, it's at an epigenetic level. And so. Um, we're talking about um, your body's ability to metabolize. Um, you're talking about muscle function. You're talking about endothelial function, the lining of your blood vessels and, and the elasticity of your vascular system. Um, we're talking a microscopic level at all these parts of your body. When you're eating uh, foods that are not good for you, like that, like specifically processed foods, then, you know, packaged, processed, refined foods, uh, I'm talking about then it, it happens at an epigenetic level where, where, again, we're not changing your actual genes. We're changing the way your genes function and the way your body performs. And so when I talk about optimizing someone's performance or reaching full human potential, um, we're talking about maximizing your capacity to do what you are able to do. And you, you know, if you're eating those kinds of foods, you're just not able to do that. You may think you are, but you're nowhere close to optimizing your potential. Um, and that comes down to the actual expression of your genes at really every level. Mm,
0: interesting. Okay. And so let's let's just start and let's just look at something like testosterone because I think w- from my research, what I've started to see and really notice is that for men specifically, you know, testosterone plays such a huge, huge part of our everyday lives. And there seems to be a bit of an epidemic on on testosterone just dropping significantly amongst men. And so, I, I would love to get your insight into first how important is testosterone for men, or, and what are some of the what are some of the, like the regulatory functions that it plays uh, with on the human body, spe- specifically for men.
1: Uh, that's great. I, I feel like I fed you this, qu- which I have not, but I feel like I fed you that question because I love answering that question. <laughs> that's like the perfect okay. question. Yeah, that's great. great. So uh, yeah, so so yeah, I I am such an incredibly uh, a huge advocate for optimizing testosterone levels. Um, testosterone is, is really. I believe mandatory for um, maximum um, function in terms of so many parts, you know, cognitive, from a cognitive standpoint, your ability to, to focus uh, your memory, your, your, your mental acuity, um, your, your concentration, your ability to, to basically be at, at your, your mental best um, is critical. Um, uh, it, it depends really uh, uh, critically on, on normal testosterone. Uh, and I, I shouldn't say normal, I should say healthy testosterone levels. And I'll get to that in a second. Um, it's important to build muscle mass. It's important to uh, help with metabolism to burn fat and to help you um, exercise as well as you could. It helps with um, energy and uh, motivation and just desire to 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 be active and be alive and 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 um, be present and be um, engaged with with people around you. It's uh, critically important for sleep. Um, you know, sleep. Has a, a huge effect on testosterone levels, but it goes the, the other way as well, where low testosterone can cause problems with sleep. Also, testosterone is important, obviously, from, from a sexual standpoint um, for libido, for sexual desire, um, for sexual performance. It definitely plays a role. Um, it's important for bone density, bone mass. It's important for your for your normal, um, you know, cartilage and uh, um, uh, skin and uh, just healthy tissue. So it's important in so many ways. Um, I think having optimal testosterone levels is really one of the most important things um, for, for middle-aged guys uh, like me <laughs> to focus on. Um, and, and so many body systems depend on it. Um, in my practice, I see so many guys on a daily basis who uh, come in with low testosterone and they are obese. Uh, they may have uh, type 2 uh, insulin, uh, type 2 diabetes or, or maybe insulin resistance uh, they have metabolic syndrome they have uh, high cholesterol um, they have difficulty losing weight uh, they have low energy they're they're sluggish and they can't seem to get out of that rut and it's funny they come to me because they're having a hard time getting an erection and they're, they're not really aware of all these other huge issues uh, that are involved with low testosterone so it, it really is so important that guys have optimal testosterone levels you're, you mentioned an epidemic, and, and I'm I'm, uh, I'm really outspoken about this. That um, it absolutely has become an, epi- an epidemic, where our testosterone levels are 20 to 30 percent less than they were about 20 years ago, um, age for age. And, and interestingly, that actually um, uh, discounts uh, takes into account um, uh, obesity and and other um, health factors as well. So you can't just blame it on being obese or high cholesterol or metabolic syndrome or, or, or other issues. Um, and I believe that that's really due to, um, estrogenic exposures, uh, in big part, uh, you know, I mentioned DES and, and uh, maternal exposure to DES back in the, in the 1940s to seventies. Um, but there's a huge issue, um, in this day and age with our diet, you know, with the, the, the soy, um, there's atrazine in our, in our, uh, plant and our herbicides, um, in our soaps and detergents, there's, there's triclosan and, in our sunscreen and in our, um, in our cosmetics, um, you know, everyone's probably well aware of BPH and phthalates and, and plastics and uh, water bottles and stuff like that as well. Um, birth control estrogens are everywhere as well. So, I mean, there is a massive, massive worldwide increase in estrogenics that is, that are crushing our testosterone levels. And so you're right that there truly is an epidemic. And a lot of it comes down to, I believe, uh, these exposures that we need to really mitigate. Um, did that answer your question?
0: <laughs> yeah, I think definitely, man. <laughs> yeah. You no know, i was going to i was going to dive in there because i think you know you one of the things that that i've noticed is that you know there's there's guys that i know who have had you know had a recent checkup and found that their testosterone levels at the age of like 30 or at the age of 35 are significantly significantly below where they should be and these are like mm-hmm. you know they're they're guys that are in great shape they're guys that are like the the they are the types of men that you that i in my own perspective would have never guessed have anything going on with with testosterone, or have an issue with testosterone? And so, um, you know, I kind of want to get into a, a two sided thing on this, and and really see, uh, you know, first, what are some of the main? You, you've you've laid out some of the main causes, which I think are good, um, but I would love to dive a little bit more into this. Like, is our sedentary lifestyle does that contribute to it? Um, are there some specific foods that that men should definitely avoid eating that that are gonna have a negative impact on, on their testosterone. So maybe, maybe let's just start there.
1: Uh, lifestyle definitely plays a huge role. So, uh, you know, exposures is certainly one huge factor. Um, I, I spend a lot of time working with my, um, my VIP clients, uh, who, who are looking to optimize testosterone and focusing on all the lifestyle issues because it's not just exposure. That, that's one big one that, that no one talks about, but lifestyle, your you know sedentary activity absolutely pay, plays a role. Um, we, we've had tons of studies that show that interval training and strength training have a dramatic effect on increasing testosterone levels, um, free testosterone levels as well. There's been tons of studies that show that nutrition has a huge effect on testosterone. Um, intermittent fasting has a tremendous effect um, on, on boosting testosterone naturally as well. There are a lot of foods that can have an effect. Um, refined sugars, I would say, probably is number one on my list of things that I, I focus on with guys, um, because that definitely has an effect. And and it, you know, th- there's this 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 epidemic of low testosterone, but there's also this epidemic of obesity, and, and they're actually tightly interrelated. And so, what I mean by that is. Is you know metabolic syndrome with um, type two diabetes, hyperlipidemia, obesity, trunkal obesity, and you know that's associated with chronic inflammation, and that's associated with low testosterone, and and it's associated with increased mortality as well. And so I think we're all going down this very dangerous path of uh, of poor lifestyle that is absolutely, like you brought up, one hundred percent having a dramatic, uh, dramatic impact on testosterone levels.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, I think that kind of like lays it out there in, in a very real way. And so some of some of the things that we can do, like if we could just look at for a second, some of the direct things that we can do, you know, I've sort of seen um, different diets laid out to support with testosterone, but I'd love to get your perspective on, because uh, it's it's kind of hit and miss, right? Like I think we, you can go on the internet and because this has become a, such a big problem for men, it's also turned into like a big potential um, a bit of a shit show when it comes to guys trying to sell other guys products <laughs> of like, oh, yeah. boost your testosterone, like testosterone boost. This is the powder that you need to buy. And I think that we can, yeah. we can fall on this slippery slope of just like really, um, really sort of like sketchy, uh, you know, research and and not really fully formed opinions. And and so I'm curious to get your insight. Like, what are some of the things that that from your research that that you know of that are going to help redirect so if somebody's having you know low energy they know that they have low testosterone it's below the average of where they should be how do they actually start to create a plan to build that back up and can you actually build it back up or is it just about maintaining actually
1: yeah so um a, a lot of good questions in there you, you know i i I really believe that that there are uh, certain basic things that that anyone can do to help maximize their testosterone naturally. That that um, you know they they can you know take general advice and, and move forward. But a lot of it is individualizing, um, and and that that involves looking at genetics again. You know, it all comes back to the epigenetics and how to bio individualize the approach. And so I I, I actually kind of hate what you're talking about those products out there, the testosterone boosters out there. Buy this, buy my product, and you know, I, I think they're a supplement and, and, and they're just that they're meant to be a supplement to the rest of, of your lifestyle. And and I think if you're eating like crap, if you're not exercising, if you're not sleeping and you're, you're high stress and you're, you're, you're overweight, you have, you know, insulin resistance, then there's no supplement that's going to, that's going to naturally boost your testosterone. So I, I think that, uh, supplements are not necessarily the key. I, I think when it comes to lifestyle, um, I, um i talk. i have a a methodology the ignite your drive methodology i talk about and that's uh, create a foundation build your momentum and sustain your success and create your foundation i talk about nutrition and it it, it really all starts with nutrition and so i think focusing on eating the right foods and eating them at the right times and um uh you know the right amounts i think is critical and so i go into that um and then sustaining your success i uh, I'm sorry, building your, your momentum. I talk about fitness and, and about exercising the right way at the right times. And I I think, you know, interval training is important. I think, uh, strength training is important. I think doing some carb cycling as well, and and timing when you eat in relation to your exercise is definitely important. And and all of this is based on science. You know, all of this has been shown to have a a dramatic effect directly on testosterone. Uh, but remember so much more than testosterone is the whole body. And remember that, that testosterone, It's very important. It's just one piece of the whole puzzle. And so, um, you know, uh, creating a whole body systems approach to it uh, is really important. But I think uh, testosterone is definitely uh, the foundation of a lot of this stuff. So anyway, so, uh, so that's, uh, building your momentum with the, the fitness. And then I, I think it's really important to focus on, on, uh, stress reduction techniques, whether it's meditation, whether it's yoga, whether it's, you know, focusing on, on sometimes some, some, um, counseling, I think is, is sometimes important. Um, and then sleep, I think sleep is, is, uh, one, one issue that is, uh, not talked about enough. And that is how dramatic, um, good night's sleep has on your testosterone levels and, and how much it has an effect on your, obviously your telomeres and on your overall health as well. Um, but specifically for testosterone, uh, sleep has a dramatic effect. Um, and in sustaining your success, I talk a lot about mindset, how mindset can have an effect on testosterone as well. And that, that more has to do with um, you, you alluded to the fact of how can you get people to actually do this? And are they going to stay consistent? And Are they going to, are they, they going to be committed to, to making, you know, long-term lifestyle changes and then ultimately, you know, supplements can be a part of it, but but not until you incorporate everything else. And so supplements come at the end of that. I talk a lot about, um, from an exposure standpoint, I talk a lot about things to do to, to eliminate our exposure. And, uh, you know, you'll hear all over the place that you need to, you know, avoid water bottles and, you know, plastic water bottles. And that, that's definitely uh, just the tip of the iceberg. I, I think uh, there's so much more that we can do. Um, For example, storing foods in plastic containers in your refrigerator or cooking foods in a plastic container in the microwave is is awful. Um, You're leaching all of the chemicals out of that plastic into your food and into your water. Um, I think soy has been shown very clearly to uh, have high levels of estrogenics. um, And and soy is really something that that, um, guys can avoid if they're trying to boost testosterone. Um, I think we could look at, um, y- you know, your balance of omega-3s to omega-6 uh, intake, and you want to obviously, you know, increase your omega-3s and, and limit your omega-6s as much as possible. Um, olive oil is great. You know, the monounsaturated fats are great for you. Uh, the other big thing with with diet is water intake. You know, I have switched to a, a Berkey water filter. So our water is is grossly contaminated with chemicals uh, is, uh, and estrogenics. And so um, I have a Berkey, B E R K E Y, water filter that I use for my drinking water at home. And um, I've switched from uh, plastic water containers to uh, strictly stainless steel. Um, so th- these are just a few of the things that you can do just from a nutrition standpoint. Um, from a, from a, a lifestyle standpoint, uh, the other things are personal care products. Like, like anything that has a fragrance in them, um, they're, they're, they tend to have high levels of estrogenics. Um, laundry detergents. Um, stuff like that. Your sunscreen, for example, is, is a big culprit, has a ton of estrogenics in it. Um, there's actually a, a great app that I use on my phone. It's called Healthy Living. And this app is, is pretty cool. You can take any product and you can either either type it in, or you can actually scan the barcode of it. And it'll tell you exactly the estrogenics that are within that, um, that product. So, um, you know, whether it comes to soaps or detergents, um, shampoos, um, deodorants, uh, toothpaste, uh, sunscreen, cosmetics, anything like that you can scan. And, uh, it's pretty cool to find out, um, you know, what kind of exposures you're, you're, you're um, you're, you're facing. Um, so that's just, uh, kind of the beginning. <laughs> and I think from there uh, I can go on and on, but I, I love this stuff. Uh, but yeah, that's just the beginning. And then from there, I really, I really think it goes, it comes down to, uh, the epigenetics and focusing on, 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 you know, individual genetic templates and how to really personalize it to each, each man.
0: Yeah. I mean, one of the, I think one of the big things that stands out for me is that there is, an incredible amount of information that, that is out there around this and that there's so many different avenues that people can, can undertake when, you know, when trying to really get this back on course, but it sounds like there's a few foundational pieces, right? Like foundational piece, number one, it sounds like is sleep. So can you just talk a little bit? Cause I think it's important for people to know about telomeres and how important those actually are. Cause from my understanding. Uh, you know the length of telomeres actually is a, is is correlated and, and very predictive of our longevity you know our, our longevity in life and and I think co- correlated to um, our likelihood of of having you know a higher susceptibility to cancer being produced in our body but um, can you just talk a little bit about the importance of you know, eight hours of sleep and telomeres and, and what those actually do in within the body?
1: Yeah, sure. So um, uh, as you may I mean, you you kind of summarized it very nicely. But um, yeah, sleep has such a tremendous impact on um our um our overall health our vitality our our, our sense of well-being you, you know obviously your mood but but it affects your longevity and it has an effect from from multiple perspectives uh, specifically your telomeres and, and and what your telomeres are they're they're little caps at the end of your of your dna that really protect it from being uh, if you will broken down or degraded over time and the length of your telomere which again is like the little cap, you know, a good analogy someone has used that I I like, I think it's perfect, is your shoelaces. And if you think of that little plastic end of your shoelaces, that is your telomere. And that protects the rest of your shoestring from damage. And as you age, as you uh, trash your body with, with poor nutrition and poor lifestyle choices, that telomere gets shortened. And when you sleep poorly, that telomere gets shortened. And so, for so many reasons, getting good night's sleep um, is really critical um, to your overall health um, and your longevity. Did I answer your question?
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that that summarizes, it, you know, fairly fairly well. Sure. Um, also, you know, I think just okay. what you talked about before. Yeah, you know, I think we've we've underrated <clears throat> how important sleep is, and I think it's challenging for, you know, I think it's challenging for a lot of guys who like you know like we were talking about before enter into this space of their career starts to pick up, their business starts to pick up, you know, they're, they're, they're married, all of a sudden they have a kid or two, uh, and, and they're trying to balance this, this whole whirlwind of, of life. And so, um, where do you usually start with guys when, you know, they come and work for you, work with you, uh, around balancing out this, this sense, uh, what do you, you know, what's your process like, what do you actually walk them through?
1: Yeah. So I, I, think, um, an individualized approach is key. Um, I think that we could talk about general, you know, sleep hygiene, you, you could read online everywhere. Um, but I think it's really focusing on, on guys, individual habits and getting to the bottom of, you know, what is their issue? Are they, are, are they, like you said, they're, they're working so hard at their, at a new career that they're staying up till one in the morning, you know, trying to get stuff done. And then, and then, you know, they wake up at, at five or five 30 or six, and, you know, that's why they're not sleeping. Are they laying in bed because they can't focus because their mind is still racing, um, are they, um, you know, exposed to blue lights, uh, uh, to the point that, um, you know, their mind can't turn off, so to speak. Um, do they have melatonin deficiency? You know, do they need melatonin? Do they, um, you know, do, do they practice good sleep hygiene? Um, do they know what their sleep is? A lot of guys don't even really realize there's a problem. And so I think using an, an aura ring or a garment or something that actually tracks their sleep um, I, I think it's really the beginning of it to to individualize it and, and know what the issues are. So it comes down to I, I think guys who have this kind of problem, you, you you know, I would say you really need a coach. You need someone to help kind of guide you through the process and and, and individualize it to your personal um, um, issues and um and and make the appropriate choices from that. Awesome, awesome. Man. Well, listen, I
0: I appreciate that, and I feel like we could dive you know, further and further into the conversation around DNA and RNA and epigenetics and DNA sequencing. And, you know, I I, I think the last, uh, really like the last question that I have for you is in and around maybe like, and this is a little bit out there, but but in and around what what is possible when it comes to our DNA. And, and maybe just a few examples of where this could lead us in 10, 20, 50 years. And and what's not possible? Because I think there's also some some pretty crazy myths out there around what DNA uh, could potentially do for us.
1: Sure, yeah, there's the you know the CRISPR the CRISPR um, uh, thing going on. Um, there's all kinds of talk on genetic splicing and and like you said, creating babies with the certain traits that you want. And um, I I think it's a, a fascinating concept, but it's certainly a, a slippery slope. And um, you know, playing with genes it is Uh, is enticing but i think it's pandora's box and i think that uh, a a big problem with it is it's not so simple and what i mean by that again is what i mentioned earlier and that is that the human body is complex and to think that one gene equals one trait is really a mistake and and that goes back to a lot of these you know direct-to-consumer products like you know 23andme and other companies that, that give you this report One particular gene does not equal one trait. And so when you go and try to start doing splicing and taking out one gene and replacing it with this gene, you you don't recognize the effects that it has. And, uh, you know, I love the movie Back to the Future. (laughs) When I was a kid, I thought it was such a cool movie. But it's kind of that concept where you don't realize the the huge ramifications that one change can make on everything else around it and so the human body is complex and so uh, to, to think that you can change one gene and have just one single effect is really uh, short-sighted and, and misguided yeah.
0: yeah so so powerful and all right well listen man I, I appreciate that there's actually a great show that I watched the other day in in prep for this on Netflix and they had like a Netflix uh, show called explained and and they had like a they actually had one on CRISPR and DNA, and there's a John Oliver last week tonight that was on CRISPR, and so I kind of like dug dug into this to kind of see you know what's going on in the in the DNA uh, world and with CRISPR and you know genetic sequencing and whatnot. So for everybody that's out there listening, if you're wanting to just explore this topic a little bit more, you can check out uh, Explained on Netflix, and there's a specific episode called. Uh, designer babies and they actually talk about you know some of the things that that you just brought up and then there's also a last week tonight with john oliver episode that you can check out all about crisper and some of the ramifications of that. So um awesome. Well listen Tracy, thank you so much for for being on the show. I really appreciate it having you uh on on the show today sharing your wisdom. Hey you got it man glad to talk with you. And uh for everybody that's out there listening if you enjoyed uh what we had to say today definitely go check out uh Tracy's website it'll be in the show notes and uh, you can check him out, check out the work that, that he's doing uh, in this area and dive a little bit deeper. Uh, don't forget to man it forward, share this podcast episode with just one person goes a long way to getting it into the ears and the phones of other people. Don't forget to leave us a rating and a review as we are trucking up through the iTunes charts uh, over the last few months. So thank you so much for everybody that's been sharing it out through Instagram and Facebook. I appreciate every single one of you. And don't forget to tag me so I can give you a shout out. So until next week, this is Connor Beaton signing off. Join me next week for another inspiring conversation with another inspiring individual.